Can't go that way. Gwen, do you want to turn me down just a little bit, see if that helps? Because I'm starting to ring. All right, so we are back. Um, I'm back. It was really funny because last week I was prepared. I say I was prepared. I got to be careful with that. I had gone through the preparations necessary to teach, and um, I showed up, and it was funny because Anna was, I saw Anna back in the back, and she was like, so are you teaching this week? I was like, I think so, and I'd gotten things set up up here, and um, I, uh, and then Evan showed up, and I was like, yeah, that felt right, because I didn't really feel like I was prepared, so the Lord was like, no, you weren't really ready. So anyway, we'll find out whether today I am ready, but I'm teaching today one way or the other. So um, obviously we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, so let me pray, and then I'll read it, and we'll get going. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for, uh, I just thank you for this family. I thank you for this body of believers that we can come. I thank you for people who are hungry for your word. Um, Lord, let us never stop being hungry for your word. Um, help us to, uh, to always hunger and thirst for righteousness. Help us to um, enjoy you for who you are. Thank you for this time. We do ask that your Holy Spirit would be the one to guide us, to open our hearts and minds to you, um, to open your word to us, that we would open our hearts and minds to you. So uh, we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, so do we have any worriers here? Yeah, yeah, we have some worriers. We have some liars, too, because uh, I, think, I think we all lie. Um, what's the definition of a worrier? It's pretty... pretty Pretty simple. That's, that's straight from the Jeff Morris dictionary right there. Um, if you want to get your copy, you can give me a $50 deposit, and when it's available, I'll make sure and get you one. Um, I, I, all I could find was worry, but this is pretty simple. Worrier is someone who worries, right? Okay. Yeah. Is, is worry common to the human condition? Yes, it certainly is. Do some people worry more than others? 
Yeah, yeah. Are some people, do you know some people who are almost defined by worry? Yeah, um, I think so. Other people seem to be more worry-free. Um, but is there anyone who never worries or who has never worried? I don't think so. I don't think so. Why do we worry? Control. Control. Okay. Yeah. What are we trying to control? Everything. Pretty much, right? I think the spiritual reason is we don't trust God. I think the practical earthly reason is we are trying to control things. We have needs. We live in a world of uncertainty. We don't know what's coming next. You know, we, we ask those questions. Yeah, Kevin? I think those two things are the same. What's that? The, the control and the not trusting God. Right. Oh, yes, definitely. Back to the garden to, you know, Eve in the garden. And yeah. Then, you know, that whole desire to be God or be in control. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm still ringing a little bit, Gwen. I don't know if you can help me out with that or if somebody, whoever has your phone now has <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, you know, we ask those questions. Uh, should I stock up on food and clothing and water, ammunition? Um, should I start a garden? Should I keep chickens? Um, should I get a different job? Should I uh, move to a different town or city or country even? Um, what will the weather be like? This winter, should I dig up my pipes and bury them deeper after, you know, the winter we had a couple of years ago? Um, how many people worried about wells going dry or, you know, water not being sufficient over the last few months? Right. I mean, we've got all these worries. Elijah prayed it shouldn't, it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. Should I be worried about an Elijah out there praying that there wouldn't be any rain? You know, I'm worried. Got all these things. What does Jesus indicate is the reason for our worry? So I want to find out if we've got any good Bible students in here. How many of you, when I first started reading this, said, wait a second, I need to back up to verse 24? Anybody? Oh, man. What's he start off with? For this reason. Well, what for what reason? We kind of need to know that, don't we? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Hmm. For this reason. Because you can't serve God and wealth, don't worry. Interesting. Um, for this reason. What reason? We can't serve God and wealth. We can't serve God and money, possessions, stuff. All those things. We can't, we can't do that. So I want to start. Can we further boil down the pursuit of wealth? Oh, sorry. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, can we further boil down the, the, the pursuit of wealth? What's at the heart of pursuing wealth? Self. Self. Yeah. It's all about what? It's all about me. Yes. Um, I want to be provided for. 
I want to be comfortable. I want to have a vehicle that starts when I put the key in it. I want to have a key. Uh, I want to have a house that's warm when I want it or cool when I want it. I want to be able to afford insurance so I can protect all the stuff that I enjoy and feel comfortable with. Um, I want to be sure I have enough and maybe a bit more. I want to know that when the world tries to come at me, I'm prepared for anything, right? That's all I want. Is that so unreasonable? Is there anything wrong with being comfortable? No, not necessarily. Is there anything wrong with having enough and a bit more? No. Maybe quite a bit more? No. Not necessarily. Then aren't you being a good steward? Maybe. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Um, is there anything wrong with saving and planning for the future? No. No, not necessarily. Does God provide abundantly? Sometimes. <laughs> Not always. He, I, think in, in, I think for the most part in this room, we can say, yeah, we're probably all abundantly provided for. I don't see anybody, I haven't noticed anybody wearing the same thing every week. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who would, most likely. Um, but some of you could tell me, yeah, I've seen the same, that person wearing the same thing every week. Um, we're abundantly provided for, but, but does God guarantee that? No, he doesn't. Sometimes he gives just enough. Do I get to choose how I'm provided for? No, but yes. I can. I can take the reins, and I can try to provide for myself the way I want to be. But then no, if I am trusting him for what I need, I don't get to decide how much is enough. So that was kind of a trick question. I can make those choices for myself, but that's not what God has called me for, called me to. Um, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes, in a way, vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, also, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes there's your pick-me-up for the day. You've seen, I'm sure you've seen a lot of motivational posters with that, with that verse on there, right? Was James trying to discourage us? No, what was he doing? Yeah, which requires what? Where do my eyes have to be? Yeah, not on me, because that's where my eyes too often are, are on me focused on me. I have to take them off of me. I have to remember that I am but dust. That's come up a lot of times. And I put my eyes on Christ. He's my provision. He's my all in all. He is everything. Um, 
Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide all your needs, all through Christ, because He is our all. It's interesting when you really start to think about Christ as our all. When He is the fulfillment of everything, He is our all. So how do I know if I'm serving God or serving wealth? I mean, I've I, I still got to pay bills, right? I still need to make sure that when I do that, there's money in the check account that'll cover the check for those of us who still use checks. Um, but there's still got to be money in that account. How do I know? Still do what? He could still do that in righteousness by saying, if the Lord wills, right. um, I will do this, you're inclined to do that, so do it. Right. And, and the Lord either blesses or, or gives you just enough. Which is an excellent point. If I'm an, if I'm an outsider looking in and looking at this man that James described, do I know his heart motivation? Could he be walking in faith, doing the right thing, and walking the exact same path as the guy who's saying, I'm going to do this on my own. Yeah, he can absolutely be doing the same thing because it doesn't come down to action. It comes down to what's my heart attitude. Where's my heart? Who am I trusting in? Am I trusting in me? Am I trusting in the Lord? Am I worried? Where does my mind reside? How many times does Jesus tell us not to be worried in this passage? There's three times he says, essentially, do not worry. He says, do not be worried, do not worry, do not worry. And then there's a couple times when he basically says, uh, he basically asks, why are you worried? What's the point in worrying? What's the goal and what does it gain you? He asks, who of you by being worried can, sing, can add a single life, hour to his life? He's asking us these questions. What benefit do you gain by worrying? Why do we keep doing it? Yeah. Does this passage only deal with um, worry over what we'll eat, drink, and wear? Does it only apply to our physical needs? Because what else do we worry about? Everything. Everything. Health? Family? Whether it's going to rain? All kinds of stuff, right? It's funny. Uh, there are those who think that Worrying for others, especially their kids, spouse, other family members, um, is what love looks like. So if I worry, it shows love. And I can look at Heather and smile because that's kind of what she got from her mom. Was if you're worried about, you know, I, I, I show you my love for you because I'm worried about you. And I'm worried about what's going on and where you are and if things are going okay. Um, is that true? Is that what love looks like? No. 
No. I don't remember in 1 Corinthians 13 worry showing up in there. Um, let me ask you another question. I'll get rid of this. Um, how are worry and fear related? Kissing cousins at least, right? They're, they're very closely related, there's no doubt. Um, if I say I'm worried about you, I'm concerned for you, what's that typically mean? Typically means I'm fearful. I'm, I'm worried about what's going to happen. I'm afraid something bad might happen to you. Um, so, like, what kind of things would I be worried about for you? You might hurt yourself. Get sick. I think um, most worry is related to a fear of loss. Okay. Who's loss? Uh, my loss. Typically, yeah, oftentimes it's my loss. I was, I was having lunch with a couple of friends on Friday, and um, one of them, his dad had passed away a few years ago, and, you know, he was talking about concern for his mom, and he's got a stepdad, and you know, just these things, and it, it's, it's that, and, and I was, as I'm talking to him, I was like, you know, the concern, if they're a believer especially, the concern is not for them and what they're, you know, the, we may want to, we may think, well, I, I hate for them to go through pain and things like that, but typically what we're thinking about was when they die, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt me, right? Um, so, yeah, oftentimes that that fear is more for me than, than for the other person. Um, let's see. But, but I think the other thing, you know, we're concerned with, you know, we think about our kids and, you know, I'm worried that something bad's gonna happen to them. Well, what's bad? Yeah. What else? Exactly. Exactly. Are we pretty good at defining what's bad? <laughs> we're, we're, we're consistent about trying to define it, but we're not good about really knowing what good and what bad are. Why is that? Okay. What's the difference? How do how how's that determined? Yeah. Who said that? There you are. <laughs> yeah. God's the one who determines what's good or bad. How, how how does that work? How is it that God can figure out what's good and what's bad where we have such a hard time with it? What's that? Yeah. He sees it all. He sees the whole picture, right? How much do I see? Very small, little tiny sliver, right? How much of a person's heart do I see? I don't even know my own heart. I certainly don't know anybody's in here, right? I don't know anybody's heart. Who knows their heart? God knows their heart. 
So I think when we fear, it's like we're saying, I'm worried God's not really going to be watching over this person. He might look away for a, for a minute and something will happen that I don't like. I don't want you to experience any pain or suffering. I want everything to be sunshine and roses for you. Is that what I need? I don't know. It's one of those trick questions. God knows. He knows what I need. I don't know. So why am I worried about things? Exactly. He might not do it my way, which makes me worried. But I shouldn't when my heart, when I, my trust is in the right place. Um, so what does it take to build faith? Trials? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Consider it all what? Joy when you go through trials of many kinds. All kinds of trials. We're supposed to call that joy. Why? Because it brings us joy. It brings us to peace. It brings us to Christ rather than to fear and to worry. Trials are what build our faith in Christ so that we can have the peace and the joy that he promises. But if I'm, my, my dad has often said that, you know, he, he designed custom homes, and so he'd deal with people with oftentimes with lots of money. And you've got two different kinds of people, often more than two, I'm sure, but at least two categories of people with money, those who earned their money and those who inherited their money. And those who inherited their money have more fear about losing their money because if it goes away, they don't know how to make more. Person who's made money, they're like, I'll go make more if I lose it, you know. Um, but it's the, so, so the person who's never had any trials, who's never had any bad stuff, they've been given all this stuff and they're like, they have greater fear. Even though they've been given, they've got all this mound of wealth, but they're like, if it goes away, I don't know how to, I don't know how to work. I don't know how to get more. I don't know how to do, you know, so, so there's that fear that comes with lack of trials. It seems so backwards, and yet it's true. Trials bring us peace, bring us joy. Trials are what teach us to walk in him, not in myself. Yeah. Yes. Yes, which is scary and comforting all in the same breath. Yeah, yeah, because when I'm trying to keep all those balls up in the air, 
and trying to keep everything, and I feel like I'm the one who has to keep control of everything. And as you get older, more balls get added, and you're like, ah, you know. So when you find out that, okay, God's got it, you know, you go, okay, I can let all this stuff drop, and he'll, he'll take care of them. Um, uh, turn back just uh, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Goes along with, uh, well, anyway. Uh, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We often worry about the wrong things. And we label circumstances and actions bad that cause discomfort, ourselves or those who, say, who we say we care about. But that's not, that's not God's economy. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. That, that's not what we're typically praying for people. The people would, for our kids or for people we care about, that people would insult them and persecute them and falsely say all kinds of evil against them. But Jesus is saying you're blessed when those things happen. Um, so what about our world? Does our worldly system dispel, dispel worry or create it? Insurance. What's that? Insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the commercials you see, or maybe the emails that come through your inbox. Do they tend to you know, the, the ones from the world, the, and even some of the ones from Christian organizations or things, do they tend to um, encourage fear or peace? And you don't have anything to worry about. Well, if there's peace, then you don't have to spend any money. Exactly. You give your reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's not too many things that are advertised that they're telling you, you don't really need this. You know, there's no reason to have this, uh, but, you know, we're just going to advertise it anyway. No, they're telling you there's a reason you need this. You, it, it's going to make you happier. It's going to bring you joy. It's going to keep you from harm. It's going to, it's going to do something for you. What's that? Yeah, make you healthier. Any number of things, right? Do they tend to encourage you that God is enough? And his provision is enough. Does the world encourage us to be content? No, it doesn't. Then why do we keep going back to it as if it has any kind of worth, worthwhile answers for us at all? Why do we keep buying the lies? Jesus tells us your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. He knows what I need. He knows what you need. But what do we seek? Do we too often seek the same things that the world seeks? We do. In verse 32, Jesus says that the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Is that true? Who here has ever gone shopping on Black Friday? <laughs> I did it once. 
for about this long. Are, are those people seeking um, all these things? Yeah. Um, we see a lot of people eagerly seeking, not just on Black Friday, but, but on every other day. Um, we are not told to seek after the best Black Friday deals, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right. That's between you and the Lord, whether you go shopping on Black Friday or not. Um, we are not told to seek after anything this world has to offer. What are we told to seek? Hmm? His, kingdom. So, his kingdom and what? And his righteousness. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? Who is, who is he when it, says, or, or, when it says his, who is he talking about? Yeah, God, your heavenly father. So what is a kingdom? What's that? Okay, where he lives. But just in general terms, what is a kingdom? Yeah, where the king reigns. A kingdom is a place, an area where a king reigns. He has authority. He has dominion. Um, a king has subjects. What does it mean to seek after, as a subject, to seek after a kingdom? Okay, to seek the good of the kingdom. Which, as a subject, means what? To be a slave. Okay, to be a slave. His will. Yeah, whatever. I am seeking. I am not just okay with there being a king over me. I am okay with being a slave. I am okay with being under that authority. Whatever he tells me. Seek first his kingdom. His kingdom. He is my king. I am to be his subject. I'm not supposed to worry about these things because my king, and think about a kingdom. Think about what we know about, you know, obviously you hear plenty about bad kings and you hear some about good kings. But a good king would provide for his people. And good subjects would put themselves under that authority. Um, not citizens who are equal with the ruler. This, we're talking about a kingdom where God himself is the king. Um, so when he says something, when he commands something, I say, yes, sir. For me, for me to, so for me to seek God's kingdom means I want to be in subjection to. I desire to be under his, his authority. So what about righteousness? How do you seek righteousness? What is righteousness? Right standing. What's that? Right standing. Okay, right standing. We've been declared righteous. So why do we need to seek righteousness? Okay, seek God. We seek Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He is both king and he is righteous. Righteousness personified. Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 5. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Right. And by recognizing that it comes, it is an expression of the life of Christ, it's something that I speak it, I focus on what the Word says, I focus on what it is that He's directing me in a given day, and it's not a consensus of society right. to say that righteousness is the following thing, but to, to understand the same way that we say we subject ourselves to His authority, we subject ourselves to the Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have righteousness defined. Let me. Israel go. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, this this whole thing starts um, with uh, chapter six, verse nineteen. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Right. And I think the righteousness in heaven is a contrast to the treasures on earth. Yes. And, and you pointed out that therefore you can't serve these two masters. It, there's an inclusio there that ends with therefore don't worry about tomorrow. Just like there's therefore, don't worry about your life. Right. And that therefore, you don't worry about tomorrow follows, seek first the kingdom of God. Right. In other words, it goes back to that, you can't serve two masters. Right. Yeah. So I think the righteousness is the, the treasures that are in heaven as opposed to the treasures on earth. Right. Right. So let me, let me take it here. Uh, what, when Jesus was on earth, what did he seek? The Father's will. He sought to please His Father. Um, if you're wondering what His righteousness looks like, you can ask, does this please the Father? Our focus is on Him, not on how close we can get to an action before it's called sin. That's, that's so many times when you hear people ask questions, it's like, what can I do before I have to say, before this is defined as sin? Not, we don't ask, often ask the question, how close can I get to Jesus Christ? How close can I remain to Him? Um, we tend to go, what, what, how, how bad can I get before it's called sin? That tends to be our focus, and that's the wrong focus. How often did Jesus seek to please the Father? Always. Constantly, always, without ceasing. Seeking, this seeking is a continual process. It's not, a, it's not a, you know, okay, I'm going to do this for a while. I'm going to do this on Sunday. I'm going to make this kind of a priority. Um, it is a constant. It is a continual pursuit. Yeah, he said, Jesus said, it, um, my food is to do the will of my 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. When he's talking to the woman at the well and the disciples come up and say, you know, here, eat something. He says, I'm not hungry. Well, did somebody give him, or I don't remember. Anyway, he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they said, did somebody give him something? My, my will is to do the, my food is to do the will of the Father. So that's, that's the level um, that we don't typically get to, right? Um, anyway. Um, how does it make any sense that we who have been crucified, we've died to our flesh, how is it that we as dead people can possibly be pursuing the same things that people who are still living in their flesh are pursuing? If I've, been, if I've died, how does it make any sense that I can be doing pursuing the same things these people are, are pursuing? To me, it's like a zombie in a zombie movie. If the people who aren't zombies are seeking the same things that the zombies are, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't watch zombie movies. I've watched one, and I think it's really funny. But <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, you, that, one's, that one's just... <laughs> that's a whole new level, and that was, I, I couldn't resist that one. But um, it makes no sense. It's insanity. It's... It, it, for us who have been changed to be seeking after the same things, that is insanity. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody. Um, so what does it mean that he will provide for our needs? Does it mean abject poverty? Does it mean incredible wealth? What are our needs? Who defines that? What those needs are? Um, how comfortable are you with allowing God to determine your level of need? I think most of us aren't real comfortable with that. That's why we continue to strive. Um, so he, fin he finishes with, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, um, so this is the third time in these verses Jesus has said, Do not worry. Starting to think maybe he's trying to tell us something. Maybe he knows that we do tend to worry. I think he does. Um, Heather, what it was my, what's, what's it that my mom used to say? Do not borrow trouble. We tend to borrow trouble. That's, that was her way of saying, don't worry about tomorrow. We tend to say, you know, and, and Jesus is saying, you got enough to deal with right now, right? And you're already worrying about tomorrow. Don't borrow trouble. You've got enough. What do you gain by worrying? Nothing. You can worry. Um, can your worry cause any change in any circumstance? You know, verse 27, he says, And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Can you create some benefit for yourself or someone else with your fears and worries? No. What does worrying cost you? Sometimes hell. At the very least, it costs time, costs joy, rest, peace, relationships, sometimes sleep. It costs us. What control do we have over tomorrow? None. Some may say, I'm not a worrier, I'm a planner. Is there anything wrong with planning? No, I am not a planner. Heather will tell you right now, and I, if I tried to say anything otherwise, she'd probably yell up, stand up and throw things at me. Um, no, there's nothing wrong with planning, but where do we draw the line? 
The line always has to be drawn at Jesus. What is your focus? I'm planning for the future. Okay, where is Christ in the midst of this planning for the future? How do you know if they were your plans or His? I think if they get completely blown up and you're at peace with that, they're probably Christ's plans. If you're angry about it, they were probably your plans. If they are His plans and everything gets turned upside down, you can shake it off. But if they were your plans, there's a good chance you're going to get angry about it. If you have your life all planned out, where you're, um, where, oh, if you have your life all planned out, where are you leaving room for God to be at work? If you have this vision of what your kids' lives will be, and if they deviate from that, they wouldn't, would they? Um, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But we have to ask, whose plans are they anyway? So we've been looking at questions in the gospel. Jesus asked multiple times here, what does worry accomplish? What benefit does it provide you? Can it help you extend your life? Can it make your life better? Does it make you more effective for the work he has for you? And obviously the answer is no. What does it look like to live without worry? Practically, how do you do it? It comes down to our... Go ahead. <laughs> I know, I know. It comes down to our focus. What do we seek first? What do you make your primary and continual focus? Are you focused on your needs, on your fears, on the future and its uncertainties? Seek first His kingdom. Make sure He's the one on the throne every day, dying to yourself daily, being a willing and even enthusiastic sub, uh, subject, seeking His righteousness, knowing what it looks like, which requires what? Yeah, being in His Word. I, if you want to know what, he, he, what His priority are, priorities are and His focus is, you've got to be in the Word. When I focus on my needs, on my wants, I am an idolat idolater. I am the one sitting on the throne when I'm focused on me. All right, so here's my conclusion. You can take it for what it's worth. Um, have you begun to stop making Jesus your Sunday school answer and started letting him be your everyday answer? Your everything answer? Don't focus on how not to be worried focus on Christ. As we focus on Him, it's really hard to be worried. When we focus on our circumstances and what our needs are, we worry. You cannot serve two masters. Either serve Jesus with your whole heart, forsaking all others, meaning all idols of any kind, including, including myself, or stop pretending you will. But this, this is what He's looking for. He's looking for hearts that are His. We need to be sold out. What's stopping you? What's stopping me? Are you trying to follow Jesus? Stop trying to follow him. 
and just focus on him. Enjoy him. When he becomes your focus, when he becomes your life, you won't have to try to follow him. You won't have to consciously allow him to sit on the throne. He just will be. I think when, we, when he is our focus, when he is our joy, you'll look up one day and realize, I'm following Jesus. When did that start? I'm not worried. I'm not fretting over things. I'm not focused on the wrong things. I, I just see Jesus. I don't pretend to say that I'm there. <laughs> Please believe me. Please understand. But I think that's where we're, where we're going to, where we're, where we're looking for, what, we're, what our goal is. So my encouragement, don't let Jesus just be your Sunday school answer because he is the answer. He is our answer. Should be our answer for everything, every worry, every concern, every thought. He, he is all that. All right. Any last thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Um, I think about Peter and when he got out of the boat and was walking on the water and he was doing fine until his focus changed. Lapsed. Yeah. And in that doubt, when he's looking, he wasn't focused on Jesus, he was focused on the waves and the wind and what that storm. Yes. And I can identify with that. Oh, yeah. I think we all can. Absolutely. If you didn't hear, yeah, she was talking about when Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking on the water, his focus is Jesus and everything's good. And then he starts hearing the wind, he starts seeing the waves, he starts looking around and he starts to sink because he misses who was allowing this to happen. It wasn't me, it was Jesus. So, yeah. All right. We are out of time. Lugie, would you pray for us?